you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. I'm your host, John Benzik, from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you don't know what you're doing. Today's episode is going to be pretty exciting because my special guest today is Andrew Kinchelo. He's the founder and CEO of Buddy's Nut Butter, an all-natural, fresher, simpler, and better peanut butter. He graduated from 2012 from the University of St. Thomas with a degree in entrepreneurship, and he began making peanut butter at home, and when he did, he had two goals in mind to create the perfect ratio of honey to peanut butter and to introduce a fresher, more flavorful take on peanut butter. He went on to create three flavors. While he was carefully testing and tasting his nut butters, Andrew decided he wanted to source his ingredients from producers who were as passionate and painstaking as he was about making quality food. Andrew is the middle child of three. He's Originally from Green Bay, Wisconsin, he's an avid food and drink lover. And to learn more about Andrew and his company, visit buddiesnutbutters.com. Andrew, thanks for taking the time. I'm really honored that you're here and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, It's wonderful to be with you on this uh, fine morning in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Terrific. So, Andrew, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help them move forward. And the final part is the Let's Get Personal piece, where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Andrew, it's time for some questions. Are you ready for the interview? Oh, I've I've, uh, prepared uh, long and hard for this uh, interview, so I'm ready, John. Fantastic, here we go. Andrew, tell us the story. How did you originally come up with the Buddy's Nut Butter idea? Yeah, John, this is honestly my favorite part about the business is, is getting people passionate about buddies and getting to tell the story and the inspiration behind peanut butter. People say to me, why peanut butter every day? Anything from it's a saturated category to it's peanut butter. Like, how could you make peanut butter any better? And uh, really, it started, uh, as you mentioned, I graduated in 2012 from St. Thomas with a degree in entrepreneurship. And I had this love for food and this passion for entrepreneurship with no idea what my future kind of held for me. I was living in uh, an apartment with my one of my good buddies, Matt Sullivan, and uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to start making peanut butter uh, and selling it at a farmer's market. So 
I buy mason jars and enough ingredients for 50 to 100 jars a weekend, and I'd sit in our apartment kitchen making one jar at a time, uh, actually grinding fresh in my food processor, which I still use today for testing new flavors and developing uh, new recipes and what have you. But I chose peanut butter because it holds a really special place in my heart. As a kid, I ate like five foods, mac and cheese, chips and salsa, and peanut butter on toast. And it was always a natural peanut butter. But every morning I'd, I'd have that for breakfast and I'd get to enjoy it with my dad. And sometimes we'd, you know, make it a little special, drizzle some honey on there and, um, you know, give it a little sweetness. And so I always really enjoyed peanut butter and more importantly, really enjoyed those those few minutes I'd have in the morning with my dad as a, as a kid growing up. Were you looking for a business idea at the time or were you just making peanut butter anyway? Uh, no, I had never made peanut butter before and more specifically never even really thought about adding great delicious um, flavors and textures to the peanut butter. I was always, you know, just a, a natural, crunchy, well-salted peanut butter user. And then I said, you know, I'm looking, I, I'm looking for a food product. And I was really inspired by a competitor of mine who's now, you know, started and sold his company. And, uh, you know, I, I was aware or I actually went to a, a talk at St. Thomas when I was a student um, when Greg and or sorry, Dan and Angie Bastion of Angie's Kettle Corn uh, came and spoke. And back then it was still kind of, you know, they were at maybe five, ten million dollars in total sales and they've surpassed that multiple times. But I was really inspired by their story and said, you know, this is something that I can do. This is something that I can start with little to no capital, no knowledge, no idea. I can make mistakes and just figure it out as I go. So I knew I wanted to put my product on retail shelves. And if you asked me three, four years ago how I was going to do that, you know, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm super excited and passionate about what I love and, and uh, my product's more unique. Um, it's, uh, you know, Buddies is, we make it in small batches, about 40 pounds at a time. It's a very fresh take on a peanut butter. We're freshly roasting and grinding our product in every jar. And, you know, like you mentioned, we're using simple flavors like raw honey, craft sea salt to really marriage the flavors together really nicely. Beautiful semi-sweet chocolate that's not too bitter yet, not too sweet. And now we're, um, we're about to introduce a classic peanut butter uh, that's got a virgin uh, co organic coconut oil in it uh, that actually keeps it from separating. So that's uh, something we're getting really excited about launching here in the next week or two. And, uh, you know, that's we, we that's one of the big values we've, we've stuck behind since the beginning is simple flavors, fresh ingredients from honest producers. And, and I'm really proud that today, you know, we've been able to scale and really stick to those values as much as possible. So. Wow, that is such a cool story of how you just sort of chose to start a business like that. That is neat. Who do you sell to now? What retailers? What types of retailers as well? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, today we're in over 1,200 retail outlets across the country. We're in about 25 states, and we focus more on natural and specialty retailers like your Kowalskis, your Lunds out of state. Um, uh, we recently launched in Sprouts Farmers Markets, which is the second largest natural retail in the country behind Whole Foods. You know, we're in 100 plus high V stores, uh, which are really making a big push in the Twin Cities. Uh, I love seeing those stores pop up here. We're in quite a few co-ops, natural food stores, uh, independent uh, natural food stores. We're in Mariano's, Roundy's, 
were pretty much all over Festival Foods in Wisconsin, Woodman's, um, Natural Grocers out of uh, Denver. So we're uh, we're really starting to expand out west and we're growing out east too. But as we continue to grow, we'll focus on natural and specialty and you know make pushes in the the more higher end conventional stores. And how many employees did you start with? And how many employees do you have now? I started completely on my own. It was me in my apartment. It was me in the commercial kitchen when we had to kind of scale up with a few of my friends actually that I hired to work one day a week with me to, to make the peanut butter. Today, we've got, uh, I've got an outsourced sales management team of eight people that are out there on the road every day selling for me, working with our brokers, managing our brokers, managing our promotional plans, and really scaling up buddies and growing buddies. We've got a co-manufacturer that we work with out of state, and I've got a bookkeeper, and I've got an operations consultant as well. So day-to-day, it's, you know, officially it's still just me, but day-to-day there's a lot of hands, a lot of people that are that are working hard and, and are part of the passion and the story behind our success today. I think that's good for aspiring entrepreneurs to hear that you're in 1,200 stores and you're a going operation, and yet you're the only official employee. And it's good for them to sort of see that they can outsource a lot of this work. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, I would ne- I would never say I've done this on my own or I've accomplished a lot on my own because that's far from the truth. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really about being passionate about getting other people to be passionate. And, you know, you, you can outsource a lot of things as, as long as you know how to manage manage it and how to keep people excited and passionate about your product, your brand, whether they're selling it or producing it or helping with supply chain or, you know, r- running financial figures. Um, it's important to keep them really p- uh, positive and, and passionate every day. Andrew, how did you come up with the name Buddy's Nut Butter, and how easy was it for you to choose that name? Yeah, it, uh, so I told my parents, I said, hey, I'm going to start making peanut butter, and I'm going to start this business, and uh, my mom said, that's awesome. My, my dad approved as well. My mom said, as long as you call Buddy's. I'm uh, growing up, I'm one of three kids, as you mentioned. I've got two sisters, but I was always my mom's buddy. Still today, a mama's boy, but I was always her little buddy. So it's a it's a name that I've uh, grown up with, and I'm still called today by now friends and family. So that's where the name came from. Buddies is perfect for peanut butter. Peanut butter is something that is, yes, it's a staple, but it's it's something that it reminds us of home. It's comforting. It's nostalgic. It's exciting. And and the name Buddy is is the same thing. It's it's uh, it's friendly. It's loving. It's again nostalgic. And just very comforting. And uh, so that really ties in with our consumer base uh, very well, too. Yeah. Did you have any issues with setting the trademark for that name? You know, our trademark, uh, I, I learned it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of buddies out there. You know, there's like Buddy's Soda or something. And there's uh, Buddy's Kitchen, actually, down in uh, Chanhassen or somewhere just outside of the cities. But specifically in the in the peanut butter and nut butter category, that's where the trademark comes in. And we had no issues actually getting the trademark. So it took a couple of months and some cash, but uh, as do all things. So it, uh, but yeah, we had no issues. Yeah, that is fortunate. Andrew, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions. And many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes to survive. Regarding Buddy's uniqueness, 
Did your original assumption about that uniqueness prove motivating to consumers? Or do you did you have to come up with a different selling proposition after being in business for a while and after getting some of that customer feedback? Yeah, that's a really good question, John. You know, behind the uniqueness, um, we're constantly kind of pivoting and pitching, you know, our, our, our niche or our target market, our customer base. You know, originally I thought, this is this is buddies. This is what's unique about it. This is what's special. But then you kind of learn by, you know, it's market research, talking to customers, talking to buyers, what's important and what we need to focus on. So I would uh, say the assumptions I originally made on who our customer base was, you know, I thought it was definitely going to be young moms, and that is partially true. But there's a we're finding a lot of millennials, a lot of uh, single or married people without kids are a big customer base of ours. And uh, I originally thought that wasn't going to be the the fact at all. But, uh, you know, that's, you make assumptions and those aren't always true. So one thing that I learned was that the idea of pivoting and we're constantly pivoting our our uniqueness and our selling points and what makes Buddy special. But again, we always stick home to our special niche of the values behind the product and the business. So Andrew, here we are in the Tell Me How segment of the podcast where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Andrew, let's talk about raising capital. Did you have to raise capital for Buddy's Nut Butter? Oh yes. Capital is, you know, outside of sales, capital is probably the the second most important piece of uh, any business, whether it's business that's pre-revenue or a business that's, uh, you know, a billion dollars in revenue. So yeah, originally I, I got a small line of credit, uh, $20,000 from my bank that allowed me to buy some equipment that I've now since sold, um, you know, first run of ingredients, brand development, a website, some photography, uh, some photos, farmer's market licenses, you know, all the startup expenses, like the very initial startup expenses. And since then we've, uh, we've done last, uh, May, June, we did a, a successful kick, uh, Kickstarter where we had actually helped with launching our uh, little buddies. And we've since um, raised um, or increased our line of credit. We work really well with our bank. And I'm about to go through a friends and family round of f- financing. And uh, after that, it's it's going to the, the angel investors, uh, the private equity route where we, you know, raise money through selling equity. So those are kind of the steps that you talk to anyone and those are the steps most businesses take. But what I've you know, learned is today or when I started, 100% of my business wasn't, you know, to me it was like, shoot, I need, I need capital, I need people and the value of the business maybe wasn't much, but every day my business becomes worth or more and more valuable. It's, it's worth is increasingly doubling and tripling in size. So everyone I've really spoken to has always encouraged me, go as long as you possibly can without selling equity because every week your business becomes worth more and more money. So you know, I'm, I've really taken that in heart, to heart and embraced that as much as possible. And so why raise equity capital then going forward? The idea behind that is, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very passionate and, um, you know, nothing really keeps me from wanting to grow my brand. And, and uh, I've got an incredible team, as I mentioned, behind me. But uh, you get to a point in business, I found, where me as the CEO and president can really only take the brand so far. And, 
you know, our, our goal really since day one has been able to, or has been to grow and expand distribution and really create an, a brand and a lifestyle behind Buddies. Not just, hey, this isn't just a product. This is a brand. This is something special. And in order to continue to, you know, double, triple uh, in size year over year, you know, which is our goal is, um, you know, we need to continue to bring people that are that have that experience, you know, as a 27 year old with absolutely zero experience behind what, what I've gained from being a part of buddies. I don't, I don't have any. So bringing, it's not just bringing in private equity and people who I talk to once a quarter, it's people who have, have started food businesses, people who have done it multiple times. Uh, just last week I, I met with a guy who's, uh, who's part of uh, Boca Burger and he didn't start that company but he he bought it and sold it and was very successful and he's done that for 30 years with different businesses so those are the kind of people that I want to bring into the business to help us continue to be successful but really grow distribution and drive the brand and help us avoid mistakes because I'd rather have a, a smaller piece of a very large pie than a the whole piece of a average size pie or of a small pie. Sure. And how are you preparing to raise the equity capital? What sort of steps are you taking? Yeah, that's uh, that's probably the most difficult piece that uh, part of the business. Again, you, you know, being young and ambitious only gets you so far. You know, people. One of my colleagues you interviewed last or a couple weeks ago, that's also in the food business, talked about you know your network. And as a 27-year-old versus 45, 50-year-old, you've got a much smaller network to start with. So um, you kind of use the people around you to network with, and it's uh, it is you know I'm not gonna lie, it is very difficult. It's uh, times it's very frustrating. But you know I, I go back to what I've learned in school or what I had learned in school. It's you know develop the best business plan. Uh, you can develop a pitch deck and uh, and know at all times that they're not investing in the brand or the product. They're investing in the people. They're investing in me and my team. That that's what uh, what I've learned is re- really important. So and for me, it's like I'm all in on on buddies. I'm 100% passionate. I've had every up and down possible, and I know that it's a long road ahead. We're not going to get to where we want to be in the next year. Let's talk about producing your product. How did you go about producing the product originally on your own? And then secondly, how did you find a manufacturer to help you? You know, that is probably the biggest hurdle most small food businesses, especially in Minneapolis-St. Paul area, deal with initially. It's, It's that scalability in a production standpoint. You know, so as mentioned, I started my apartment kitchen and that you know, it was never going to be the, the long-term solution, obviously. So from there, I, I started working in a local commercial kitchen that was just over three years ago uh, called City Food Studio on Chicago and 38th in South Minneapolis, where it's a, it's a shared commercial space. Um, so we were in there about 10 hours a week, and we'd produce up to, you know, from 800 to 1,000 jars. And, uh, you know, we had, there wasn't a loading dock. We had very limited uh, storage space. Um you know, on top of the fact that we couldn't scale production any further. So I partnered with a local uh, manufacturer, uh, we'd call in the industry a co-packer, that a few other local brands had been working with, and that's how I got connected with them. And that actually was a complete disaster, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, they made my product not to scale, and, and it was a completely different product. And I, uh, 
I, I, I'm not afraid to say that I cried a lot of nights uh, wow. you know, thinking that yeah. my, my, my business was, you know, going under because of uh, the, uh, you know, I was getting negative feedback on Facebook and emails and calls. And, you know, my sales guys were like, what the heck? We can't sell this. And, you know, I, I overcame that. I actually reached out to another uh, one of my competitors, actually, that's out west. And I just I, I, I begged her. I, I was like, I'm so desperate for a co-packer would you mind connecting me with yours? And she, within 15 minutes, literally, she emailed me back and said, here's their contact information. These are their names. Uh, they'd be glad to talk to you. And that was about a year and a half ago. And now it's, I wouldn't say it's smooth sailing, but uh, production never is. But uh, we've really been able to scale and they make my product even better than when I was making it. They're able to, you know, turn out a hundred thousand jars in a month if I need it even more. So, and on top of the freshness aspect and and what have you. So my last point here is the biggest concern, small manufacturers, and I mean like farmer's market small, like maybe not even in any stores, have with scaling production and going to a co-packer is, are they going to be able to make the product the same product and as good as I make it? And there's there are some co-packers out there that uh, that uh, do not, uh, that, that will fail at that, but there are some like the one I have now that will do an even more effective job of, of producing your product because that's what they do. What top two or three lessons did you learn by going to those one or two co-packers? You know, I, I learned again to be relentless that, uh, you know, the things to look out for, that's what's most important, that you really have to manage production. I mentioned that we produce out of state. We actually produce out in California now what's that 2000 miles away or something which uh some people are like how do you you know how do you manage that how do you make that work and uh it's you know a lot of constantly communicating with them whether it's through text messaging uh, phone calls emails um you know video chats it's constant communication uh and you you kind of have to demand that you you put it in place you know you don't call them every five minutes but uh you're constantly working with them and communicating with them how often do you visit them in person you know, I've only, in the last year and a half, I've only visited them once. I'm about to go, I'm heading out to California this week, actually, and I'm going to visit again. But uh, I haven't, it's it's more of like a time thing. I just haven't had the time to go to uh, Fresno, California, visit them. But uh, I'm going to go out there this uh, this upcoming week when I'm out in California. That, uh, that'll be good to, uh, you know, just see them in person, talk to them again, make sure everything's going well, and kind of, again, get them passion keep them passionate about about my brand and my product because they're making peanut butter and almond butters and all kinds of nut butters for you know dozens and dozens of companies so uh, i want to make sure that that you know buddies is uh remains important to them and keeping in mind that the people listening to this podcast are aspiring entrepreneurs and they've never done anything like this before what sort of issues do you come across in hiring a co-packer I'll all kinds of issues, you know, they, uh, they demand a certain scalability. You can't go into a co-packer and say, Hey, I can't make, you know, I'm making 300 jars a week in my commercial kitchen. And I can't make any more. Can you make, you know, can you make those for me? And they have, they have minimums and, and, uh, you know, you have to buy, oftentimes you have to buy all the ingredients and you have to buy them in bulk. And so you have to manage cash flow and 
usually you have to pay COD, cash in advance, cash on delivery for those ingredients. And then you don't, you, then you produce a product and you got to pay them before you can even sell the product or make money from it. So, you know, you have to really keep in mind that they, they have minimums, they demand, uh, you know, ingredients are there at a certain time, that they have a certificate of analysis to ensure that they're safe and edible food products. And then things like having contracts in place, quality control, so that when the bad things do happen, because they will happen, whether it's in food or, or some kind of tech manufacturing product, there will be issues and you have to protect yourself against those. So ensuring that you know, products are made very specifically and on point, every, you know, for me, it's every single jar is, is the same and is perfect. So that's really important too. When you chose that first co-packer that did not work out, were you in retailers at the time? And if you were, with some of the issues that came up, how did you convince them to keep purchasing from you after that incident? So first, yes, we were in retailers. We were in, at the time about 150, 200 retailers when I left that manufacturer. And really it was you know, what brought me on the shelves wasn't the fact that I was selling peanut butter. It was that I was selling an experience, a story, and my passion. You know, that I'm on a first-name basis with, with the buyer at Kowalski's. I can go to Brit and, you know, he's, he's going out to the show I'm heading out to in California. And, you know, he's like, you know, I, I tell him, stop by our booth. You know, I'll, um, let's get a beer and talk about the new flavors and new things. And, you know, I'm, 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 I get them to be very passionate about the product and the brand and the story. And that's, uh, you know, that's what kind of sold them initially or when those problems arose was we were doing everything possible to fix this solution, you know, full line of communication, not shutting off my phone, not running away from the problem and hope that one day it, it solved being an entrepreneur, being honest and upfront with, uh, with my buyers, with my team, with the then producer. So they worked with you on that. The buyers did very much. So the yeah. producer kind of blamed it on me, unfortunately, you know, which can happen. It's, uh, you know, and that's why it's really important to always have kind of a backup producer, at least one in your back pocket for when these problems arise. And then I didn't have that. But fortunately, I, like I mentioned, I reached out to a, to a competitor and she was, uh, she was kind enough to uh, connect me with her co-packer and my now co-packer. So, but really it was, it was fully communicating with the buyers then, uh, with my team and making it known that I was doing everything I could uh, at the time to solve that problem. Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about selling your product to retailers. Early on, how did you learn to do that? What were those first approaches to retail buyers like? You know, that was something I thought you mentioned before, assumptions. I assumed it would be very easy, right? I assumed, uh, hey, I'm, you know, people like me. I'm nice, I think. Um, I've got a cool story. I've got an amazing product. I'll be able to sell it no problem, right? So that's all I knew. You know, back then I didn't even have a price sheet or a sell sheet or any idea of how I was going to distribute the product, how I was going to get paid, what margins they were looking for. So literally I just went into stores and, and said, Hey, I'm Buddy, and I make peanut butter, and it's the best dang peanut butter on the market. You should sell it. Um, so that's pretty much how I, you know, I got them excited about my story and about the name Buddies, and I, I understood that there was, you know, the c competition piece, and that there wasn't really much of much competition on the shelves in terms of flavored artisan peanut butters. You know, and locally, people are very uh, 
buyers are very genuine and and loving towards local products and brands. So that, uh, you know, initially I was pretty successful with getting into co-ops and getting into Kowalski's. But uh, I quickly learned, you know, fortunately because of my head of sales who's been in CPG sales for 15 years, um, you know, that we have to have a sell sheet, that we have to have a promotional plan in place, that we have to support the product, that it's not the, the easiest thing, John, I say, is getting on the shelves. What's hard is getting the product off the shelves, into people's hands, into people's carts, out the door. Yeah, that is the hardest thing, right? Yeah, so, you know, now we've uh, we've scaled, and like I mentioned, we've got eight people selling for us. We've got brokers across the country in every single state, you know, covering thousands of retailers for us and uh you know we've we've got we've got uh so many systems in place now to really one monitor sales help us with uh, our pipeline so we know who we're approaching when uh things need to be presented because there's there's time frames when uh products um, can be presented you know you can't just walk into any retailer and say hey are you gonna buy peanut butter right now no we don't buy it in april we we buy it in december or something like that so you know i i Initially, I knew very little on the sales side, and I've I just ask questions constantly, and I'm learning and talking to people, and always doing my best to listen to others, and listen to those who have a lot of experience, so I I can you know my team and I can be better about selling it buddies into retailers and supporting our current retailers. Yeah, and are you working with? I assume you're working with distributors, wholesalers as well, correct? Yes, that is correct. We work with um, four different distributors. Um, and primarily uh, Unify and Cahey, which um, are the two largest natural food distributors in the country. And they've got, between the two of them, just uh, about 40 warehouses across the country. And you need to, you know, a lot of people hear the word broker and hear the word distributor and they say, that's just money out the door. I got to give everybody a cut. But it's really important to have those pieces in place because if you don't have distribution and someone out in California comes to you and says, hey, I want your product. I want to, it's, uh, it tastes amazing. I love the story. The price point's perfect. There's a lack of that kind of product on my shelves. I want it. Great. Here, you know, how are we going to get it to you? Who do you work with? Well, I'm out of Minneapolis. I can ship it to you. No, no, you really can't ship it that far, um, you know, in, in bulk. It, it's just going to cut your margin too much. And a store doesn't want to receive one box of of peanut butter or jam or bread or whatever it is, um, they're going to lose it. They've got a hundred thousand SKUs on their shelves. They're going to, they're going to lose it. They're going to forget about you and forget about where to put it on the shelves. So they require that you work with these distributors. And typically they, they want you to be working with, um, with Unify and Cahey because there's account managers that have relationships with the buyers and, and usually there's brokers involved that have a relationship with the buyers and with those distributors and account managers. So in scaling a business, it's actually really, really important to to have those pieces of the puzzle because that's the only way you can really scale and grow a brand. And how prepared were you when working with distributors to spend money on those types of trade programs that can be sort of costly? You know, initially, again, I had no idea really any of these distributors saw my business plan. I'm like, you know, I'm going to self-distribute or I'll, you know, I'll kind of figure it out as I go. And I was completely unaware of the, the trade spend and how much I should allocate there and what it was going to cost and what a free fill was and what slotting was. And 
a free fill is when you actually have to give a free case of product at wholesale cost to the retailer. So it's kind of like, a, hey, I'm so confident that my product's going to sell well that here's a free case of each SKU. And a lot of people I talk to in the beginning stages say, well, that's ridiculous. There's no way I'm going to do that. Well, if you don't do it, they'll say, well, see you later. I'll talk to the next person. Unless you have a completely innovative, amazing product, which rarely happens, especially in the CPG world and more specifically in the food world, buyer just says next because someone is going to give me that money, the trade spend and, and the buy one, get ones and the free fills and the slotting dollars. So. Uh, I wasn't prepared initially, but I am now. <laughs> sure. And you were talking earlier about the challenge of getting the product off the shelf once it's in the store. How have you been able to market the product to the consumer to create that awareness and demand so the product is purchased by the consumer at the store level? Uh, locally and even regionally, we do quite a few in-store demos. Uh, that's really important, especially when you know and believe that your product tastes amazing. You know, this is looking at the food world, of course, and I know that about my product, but in a, in a category where it's saturated, it's full, it's crowded, and people kind of like, I just buy my typical peanut butter. It's like it's like uh, toilet paper or paper towels. You just buy the same one or you buy whatever is the cheapest or on sale or something. So we do a lot of in-store demos where people can be educated on the brand They can, and then they can taste it. And we do those alongside promotions. So we do you know, 15 to 25, 30% off on stores. We, again, get the buyers and, and our brokers passionate about the, the product and the story so that you know, Kowalski's, for instance, um, you know, we can go in there and when we're on sale, you'll see us on an end cap. And sometimes you have to pay for those. Oftentimes you do and sometimes you don't. But it's exposing customers to the brand and to the, the product in as many ways as possible in a positive setting. So, Andrew, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems... It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business, but they never start one. Starting a business is special and pretty unusual. What motivates a person like you, Andrew, to stop just talking about launching a business and then actually go out and start a business like Buddy's Nut Butter? What motivated me, I guess, was uh, I've always been a salesman at heart. When uh, in elementary school, I loved selling the wrapping paper in the, in the fall uh, for back to school, and and uh, loved going door to door and and you know selling selling me and getting you know smiling, talking to people, engaging with people, and getting them excited about the product and what I was selling. And then when I learned what an entrepreneur was, I guess I was just so fascinated by it, by the idea of owning a small business and you know being the, the driving force behind it and kind of the, the finishing piece there was I had a professor at St. Thomas, Alec Johnson, who said to me upon graduation, you need to be an entrepreneur. And I said to him, I, I said no in every possible way that I had no knowledge, no experience, no capital, no connections, no idea. And he knew how passionate I was then about food. And I, I am obviously now about food. So he said, you need to do something in food, figure it out and run with it. And that was enough to, to have someone believe in me and encourage me was kind of the finishing piece and the driving force behind, hey, I'm going to do this. So, 
Do you think you're a creator at heart? I'd say I'm creative in some ways. Uh, creator at heart, I, I guess I would say yes to that. Um, mostly because I'm so passionate about the product and it's, it's, it's so much more than peanut butter. It's so much more than peanut butter. And my mind is kind of always going and excited and, and focusing on how we can be bigger and better and you know how I can be creative and how we can pitch our product in a, in a more creative fashion and be different and uh, be exciting for consumers. So I would say, yes, I'm a creator at heart. What have been your biggest joys or what have you been most proud of along your entrepreneurial journey? My biggest joys, say, John, are when I get a message from someone, whether it's on Facebook or an email or in person and, and people are like, hey, are you part of the brand or are you buddy? And, hmm. and they get so excited about it. <laughs> and yeah. when people, you know, I've had moms come up to me in grocery stores and take pictures with me and their kids because their kids love my peanut butter. Buddy. <laughs> and that is like, I, I have the biggest smile on my face then. I'm like, you know what? I could be a lowest low and that just lifts me up and, and really presents joy in my heart. And, and, you know, there's people that are excited about my product and my, and more than that, the, the story and the brand. And what I'm most proud of is the fact that I've, I have this grit and this uh, grit is, is so much more than passion. It's, Hey, when, when the crap hits the fan and it, it does on a weekly basis, are you going to be able to overcome it? And the fact that I can put my head down and do my best to remain humble and rely on my, the, my team and resources around me to overcome those uh, problems, I'd say, is what I'm most proud of. Yeah. And what has been your biggest frustration and how have you overcome the frustration? Oh, biggest frustration has probably been the sales piece on some levels. So, you know, we sell really well and obviously local and in the Midwest and even in like Dallas, Texas and in Phoenix. Um, but then there's some areas where the sales just, uh, you know, where I don't think our, our team is pushing hard enough on brokers or account managers or we're not presenting enough or we're not putting money in the right, right places. So we're growing tremendously. A year ago, we were in about you know, 350 stores. And like I mentioned, we're in 1,200 outlets now. So we're growing tremendously. But, uh, you know, there's areas where we're investing money, investing capital that's needed in other areas at times. And we're not seeing successes or enough successes to uh, to make the money we're investing a reasonable investment, I guess. So that's uh, that's what's frustrating to me on a daily basis. And when you come across those frustrations, how do you deal with self-doubt that might creep in from time to time? Or do you have no self-doubt? Oh, uh, any small business owner who doesn't have self-doubt... Uh, must not know what self-doubt is, but uh, being on my own, I, uh, I rely on the people around me a lot. I have a shared office space with a couple other businesses, um, with young business owners, and I, I lean on them pretty heavily. You know, not like, oh, we're in a really bad spot, or just like, hey, let's go grab a beer, or let's go grab lunch, or, or you know, let's uh, high fives and fist bumps when good things are happening, and, and getting each other excited. Um, I rely on the food community a lot and the people in it and hey how did you know this is what I'm experiencing right now I don't think I can do this how can I overcome it and 
you know what? I was in that spot a year ago, or I, I feel that same way right now. You know, this is how I overcame it, or, you know, I'm, I'm going to help, you know, lift you up, hold your hand through this. Um, so it's really the people. We're in an amazing community here in the Twin Cities of really loving people. And uh, when I have those self-doubts and those, those moments of panic or frustrations, I reach out to that community. And fortunately, I'm in such a wonderful community of foodies and, and just wonderful business, small business owners that, uh, that want to support each other. As you've been talking, Andrew, starting a business is very difficult. How is starting Buddies changed you as a person, if at all? I've changed in many ways. I've always, one way I have, I have not changed is, you know, I, I definitely stick to my values and, you know, honest and integrity and passion. But I've become, you know, so much more resilient and humble because of the experiences I've had since, you know, starting Buddies and having the initial idea. I, I initially, you know, I, I was fresh out of school and I was working at a liquor store in Chipotle, rolling burritos and washing dishes and doing what I had to do just to pay rent. And I got some, you know, some, uh, you know, as a, as a 22, 23 year old, uh, serving burritos to my old classmates that were working corporate jobs, you kind of get some negative looks and some, uh, at times negative, uh, words thrown at thrown at you and I, I became really resilient I thought I was resilient and, and really hard-working before buddies but you know I, I've uh, I've now been exposed to it 100% and I'd say the resilience piece is really important but the hum the humbling piece is drastically more important because I talked to some small business owners and they don't have many uh, you know, they've they've been extremely fortunate to hit every level and be s extremely successful from not just a growth standpoint, but a profitability standpoint. And th they're not always humble about it. You know, that can be a, 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 a defeating piece or personality trait in the future. So that's, I think, the biggest way I've changed is I've become really humble because of the experiences and, and the the uh, the failures and the uh, the times when I've been like, I have no idea what to do. It seems so interesting and fantastic that when you graduated from St. Thomas and said you wanted to start a peanut butter company that your parents supported you right off the bat. Did you find that unexpected or not? My parents have always, bless their hearts, they're super supportive and encouraging every day. No one is an entrepreneur in my family for the most part or has really done this. None of the grandkids have or are except uh, one other one of my cousins Michael have ever started a small business um, so it, it, and definitely within my family it was a very new thing so you know I knew they supported me and they always said you have to do what you love don't even for a couple of years get in some some job where you're just getting paid and, and you're miserable do something that you love and you're passionate about and something that we can really get behind so you know they most importantly they really they're encouraging because they they wanted me to do what I loved, and, and honestly, a lot of people I talk to that are young, ambitious, um, and want to start businesses. And you said 99 out of 100 people don't, and I think it's because of the network around them. Of oh my gosh, like if you do that, how are you gonna how are you gonna pay bills? How are you gonna how are you gonna do it? How are you gonna sell? And and you know my parents were the complete opposite of that. Is like do it, go out and do it. And we'll support you in every possible way. We're gonna, we're gonna love you and uh, encourage you, especially when, uh, you know, on the highs and lows, and and that uh, 
you know, in the, in the beginning when I said, this is what I'm going to do. And, and even today, um, it's been such a monumental piece and a, like a foundational piece to, to growing buddies. Since you've had some success with buddies and since college and maybe just after college, has your success changed your relationships among friends or your family or even extended family in any way? Yeah, you know, um, post-college for anyone, no matter you know what career path you take, relationships come and go. But I would, I don't have time and I don't want to make time for people that are negative and people who are, I'm not going to say not going to support me, but uh, not being loving and respectful. You know, and that's what I demand for myself, for others, is that, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be that guy who's not loving and respectful and supportive to, to, to my friends and to my, you know, fellow entrepreneurs and communities. So, you know, I, my friends from school that I still remain in contact with, or I've, I've grown even closer to be, because uh, that loving and supportive piece has become so much more strong and in, in our foundation as, as friends. And, you know, now my community of friends are really in the, in the, the food community, uh, whether they're small business owners or uh, bakers or chefs or bartenders, um, you know, I, I have such a love for that com- that community. And so that's really, and those are people that I see the hardworking piece paying off and, and see how resilient they are. And those are people that I want to be around and who I enjoy being around too. What have you learned most about yourself since starting a business? What I have learned most about myself is, again, probably going back to that resilience thing is I have more grit than I ever thought I would. I can make it over those humps. There's a lot of hard days. There's a lot of days when you just kind of want to give up. When you, Whether it's I'm getting up from bed or laying in bed or sitting at my desk and I'm like, this would be so much easier if I just sold buddies or did something else. And then I kind of come back to the the values of buddies and, and where it all has come from and you know how, how things have progressed in the last year or the last month. And that's really what I lean on. So it's, I guess, really my resilience and my my will to be successful and and remain passionate about my brand, Buddies. Who or what has been most influential to you in your life, either professionally or personally? You know, this is somewhat of a cop-out answer, but uh, my family on on many levels, um, you know, starting with my grandpa, John, who went back to school uh, when he had four kids, you know, had to, to fight and struggle to provide for his family. Um, but he said, you know, I want to be a professor. And, and you know, he went back to school and eventually got his Ph.D. and became uh, the dean of uh, Minot University, a small university in North Dakota. But nonetheless, like, you know, said, this is what I'm going to do. And he was resilient and he struggled and he and he had wins and losses. And, you know, I don't even have to provide for anyone but myself. I can't imagine changing career paths and having to provide for a family. So my grandpa, John, who's, you know, who's 87 this year and super um, encouraging of what I'm doing and, you know, doesn't, has never been an entrepreneur, but he knows what it's like to struggle and to have goals and to be resilient. So um, starting with him and then uh, my parents who, you know, my mom, had they were married in Michigan my dad was in was in residency making you know 50 cents an hour or something like that and my mom was providing for him and she was in school getting her master's and and a nurse at night and was pregnant with my older sister and just kind of closing on that it's uh really my you know my, my family has really instilled that foundation for me any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners 
closing piece of advice is be resilient. Use the community and the people around you. There are so many resources. And uh, when you fall down, get back up. I know, you know, that's a thing that we've learned since we were kids. But we're capable as human beings of a lot more than uh, than we think we're capable of. So be resilient. Use the people and the resources around you. We're in an amazing community uh, in the Twin Cities here and, and really this country. And, you know, that's what kind of separates the weak from the strong. And, you know, if you take that first step of just saying, you know what, I'm going to start a business. That's honestly a huge hurdle to, to overcome, to, to quit your job, to start out of school or, or start a business. That's a huge hurdle to overcome. And, and once you take on that hurdle, the other large hurdles will become easier and easier and easier as you continue to, to grow your business and your brand. Andrew, you've been a great guest offering some super stories and advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success, for your entrepreneurial courage, and for sharing your experiences with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, John. Uh, it's been been very exciting and, and kind of reflective for me at the same time. So I really appreciate you inviting me to, to interview for this podcast. And I hope some of my words are encouraging to the listeners out there. I'm sure they will. Have a great day. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Revel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.